This is the 966. Richard, today we have an excellent interview with Fahad Nazar. Uh, he's official spokesperson for the Embassy of Saudi Arabia in the United States and a friend. Um, it's a tough job. I think in this interview, you'll see why he's perfect for it. Um, whenever there's a big story about Saudi Arabia, good or bad, he is the voice representing the embassy and the kingdom here. Um, he's been a contributor to our website, sustg.com, as well as Arab News and other publications in the United States. Uh, Richard, great interview today. I thought it, it was very interesting. And Fahad's a really capable guy, as you said. You, you set that up nicely. You know what? Being spokesperson for the Saudi embassy, depending on your perspective, it can be the, the best of times or the worst of times. I and mean, from the Saudi perspective, there's a lot of things going on at home and a lot of things that, that you can uh, you know, be positive and, and feel good about. But here he is in a, in a very hostile environment in Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. uh, that uh, has very significant constituencies that are, are strongly anti-Saudi and, and uh, have real, real criticisms. But as you say, he's a he's uniquely qualified, I think, for the job. He's grew up a bit in the U.S., grew up a lot in the U.S., uh, has a lot of experience in terms of uh, political topics, uh, and is extremely disciplined <laughs> in his <laughs> that, message that will come and through. his approach. Yep. <laughs> yes. Uh, so there you go. That's sort of the the you know the preferred characteristics of a spokesperson so, spokesperson so he does a, 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 an excellent job and it was it was an interesting conversation with Fahad. Yeah, we talk about um, how he grew up in the United States and sort of the latest work the embassy is doing um, with lobbying and with Congress. Um, talk to him a little bit about what it's like to do his job. So we'll just jump right into it. Um, here's our interview with Fahad Nazar. We're talking with Fahad Nazar. He's spokesperson for the Saudi embassy in Washington. Uh, Fahad just returned from Riyadh from the Future Investment Initiative. Um, Fahad, how was it? And how did you how did you perceive it changing over the last few years that, that the conference has been running? Uh, well, in a word, it was uh, really great. Uh, so as you know, the Future Investment Initiative um, is a gathering of policymakers, uh, business leaders from around the world. and experts across a broad array of subjects that uh, gather in Riyadh every year. This was the uh, fifth meeting, and uh, luckily this year it was actually in person for its change. That was not the case last year. And uh, due to the fact that the international community is still slowly emerging from the shadow of COVID-19, so the, it's not a surprise that the theme for this year's conference was investing in humanity, and much of the discussion did center on healthcare, new innovations, and technologies in medicine that will hopefully make the international community better, prefer better prepared for the uh, next pandemic. And the, uh, the second theme also, I'm, I'm sure was not a surprise, certainly not to the attendees, is uh, the challenge posed to the international community by uh, climate change. This is an issue that Saudi Arabia takes uh, very seriously. And so much of the conversation there focused on the speed with which the uh, global energy transition uh, to, um, you know, an energy mix, uh, the changing the energy mix, excuse me, for, for countries, uh, how fast that uh, takes place. So those were kind of the uh, two underlying themes for the uh, three-day affair. Uh, in terms of its commitments to date, can Saudi Arabia be considered serious in its quest for net zero emissions? Right. So Saudi Arabia is absolutely committed to sustainable development overall. So the uh, kingdom and really the region more broadly do face uh, significant climate challenges. 
uh, including desertification, dust storms, air pollution, uh, in addition to water scarcity. The kingdom does believe that harnessing the power of science and technology uh, does hold the key to meeting a lot of these challenges. So we are absolutely committed to a sustainable development. Uh, we take uh, climate change very seriously. We have, as you correctly said, we recently held a conference in Riyadh just a few days before I got there uh, on the Saudi Green Initiative, where again, we um, detailed in our plan for not just addressing climate change in Saudi Arabia, but we also have suggestions and proposals for how the entire region can deal with climate change. So one of the uh, many initiatives that we have in place is to produce 50% of our uh, electricity needs, domestic electricity needs from renewable energy by uh, 2030. So that's coming up in a few years. We, and in some ways, we believe that climate action and climate change actually does offer, um, will spark innovation and create millions of uh, potentially of, of high quality jobs in the kingdom and beyond. So we, as you said, we are very bullish and we are investing a lot of resources into developing clean energy, especially solar and wind. We believe that we have a comparative advantage there. Uh, we already have uh, at least two plants in operations. Uh, one is a solar energy plant, the others is a wind uh, plant. In addition to that, we are actually, we've begun producing a new source of clean energy called uh, blue hydrogen. And we've uh, sent the first shipment to Japan a few months ago. We're also in producing an even cleaner source of energy called green hydrogen. And that's, uh, we have a, a huge partnership with the, it's a Saudi, um, a Saudi company called Aquapower has a partnership with an American company uh, that is based in Neom to produce this new source of uh, clean energy. We also have uh, proposals to uh, uh, reduce carbon emissions in the, uh, in the kingdom and more broadly by an extra 10% over, over uh, global commitments. As you already said, the uh, kingdom has embraced what is known as the circular carbon economy. We also got the G20 countries last year to, uh, to embrace this, this idea, which is basically it's, uh, the objective is to reduce, remove, recycle, and reuse uh, carbon emissions. We have always been a leader in carbon ca capture technology. We've also, decades ago, we ended the practice of flaring of natural gas, which obviously pollutes the, uh, the environment. So, uh, you know, we've been at, at the forefront, I think, of, um, of this transition for many years, and we are fully uh, committed to it going forward. It's interesting that you, you couch that in terms of uh, technology. Um, one of the one of the most one of the criticisms of the Saudi plan is that it's so highly based on technology that is new, and we're not certain if it's scalable. On the flip side, and, and it's interesting that you say it because I think the Saudis look at it as a real opportunity to develop these technologies, uh, and perhaps being a, be a a center for um, uh, carbon capture uh, science and application. Again, it's, it's, it's yet to be seen and, and hard to know, but uh, I know the ambition is there. And like you say, there's a track record in terms of carbon capture. In, in July, uh, the Deputy Minister of Defense, Khalid bin Salman, former ambassador to the US, uh, came to visit DC. Uh, and in September, uh, Jake Sullivan, National Security, US National Security Advisor, along with 
Brett McGurk and Tim Lenderking met with uh, the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman in Neom. Uh, and in October, Antony Blinken, Secretary of State, met with uh, Saudi Foreign Minister uh, Faisal bin Farhan al Saud. There seems to be an increasing tempo of U.S. Saudi meetings. Um, and, and I know there's always ongoing dialogue. Can you give us an update on the relationship in terms of these diplomatic uh, communications and encounters? The uh, relationship between Saudi Arabia and the U.S. marked its uh, 75th anniversary last year. Uh, and I would say that not only has the relationship endured in those 76 years at this point, but the relationship has continued to grow, to broaden, and to deepen uh, throughout that, that time under both Democratic and Republican administrations. I think in many ways, the relationship is multidimensional. It has a political component. It has a security and defense component. We obviously, there's a very important economic component in many ways that has been one of the pillars of the relationship. There's also an important cultural people to people component of the relationship that unfortunately is sometimes overlooked. As you correctly said, we have a very robust ongoing dialogue with senior officials uh, both in the administration as well as congressional leaders on both sides of the aisle. We discuss a very broad array of issues and I think we have broad alignment uh, across a very, um, again, a broad array of issues. That is not to say that we don't have uh, a difference of opinion over certain issues, but I think that is perfectly normal of any two countries the closest of allies are bound to have a difference of opinion, but overall, as His Royal Highness Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman recently said, uh, we have alignment over at least 90% uh, of all issues. One, one issue, obviously, as you know, well know as, as spokesperson, is, um, is uh, dealing with uh, Jamal Khashoggi's death. And we recently passed the three-year mark. Uh, and as you know, Lucia and I are deep into Saudi news and issues on a daily basis, and, and we often comment on sort of the Khashoggi paragraph, which is a reference to his killing. And, and, and a high percentage of articles about Saudi Arabia that, you know, no matter the, the focus, it could be economic, social, sports, foreign policy, there tends to be a reference somewhere in it. How do you address this ongoing and, and still intense source of criticism of Saudi Arabia and the Crown Prince here in the U.S.? Well, first of all, let me start by saying that the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, who I personally knew, was a heinous crime. It was an egregious violation of our laws, and it was also an affront to our values. Uh, people who committed it were arrested, they were prosecuted, and they were imprisoned to lengthy prison sentences. We have also taken concrete measures uh, to make sure that something like this never happens again. That has been in the form of reforming and uh, restructuring so, some of our security apparatus. Uh, but I think it's very important to keep in mind that um, this was an aberration. This is simply not how we do things in Saudi Arabia. This is not how we resolve our disputes. And therefore, I think it is, it really should not be allowed to uh, define who we are as a people or as a nation, simply because of the fact that it really is out of character for us. And uh, we have put measures in place to make sure that it never happens again because it really never happened in the past in our 90 year history. Uh, the Saudi embassy uh, in Washington 
um, has sort of a Congress problem right now. Um, there, there are several bills in front of the Congress, uh, U.S. Congress, that are targeting Saudi Arabia in one way or another. How is Saudi? How is the embassy's relationship with Congress now? And what are you guys doing to sort of improve your uh, the, the viewpoint of uh, Saudi Arabia in the eyes of, of Congress? Right. So, I mean, as I mentioned, we continue to have a very robust dialogue with congressional leaders from uh, both Democratic and Republican uh, sides. We try to make our far foreign policy priorities uh, very clear and our defense needs clear. Uh, I think that there is an appreciation in Washington, both in the administration as well as Congress, for the, important, uh, the importance of bilateral relationship. I think people realize that there are multiple reasons why they have endured for as long as they have. I think that there is also an appreciation for the role that Saudi Arabia plays in the region and, and even globally in terms of stabilizing international energy markets. Saudi Arabia gets fairly high marks also for playing a central role in the international community's effort to counter and to push back against militant and terrorist groups like ISIS and Al-Qaeda. And so I think even when it comes to the crisis across the region, uh, as I mentioned, I think the US and Saudi Arabia are very much in alignment. We do have, so I think if there's any disagreements, it's over um, you know, tactics, not overall policies or strategy. Uh, but you know, we will continue to have these uh, discussions. And you know, we're always hopeful because Saudi-US relations have endured over the years. We, they've had their uh, bumps along the way, but we always fan, uh, managed to find a way forward. You mentioned, if I may, uh, earlier, sort of emphasizing as a new tactic, the person-to-person -person relationship between Saudis and Americans as sort of the undeveloped, um, untapped way to build ties between the country, the, the two countries. Um, Princess Rima, the ambassador, has uh, traveled across the U.S. recently. Could you talk a little bit about what the aim is there, um, getting Princess Rima in front of new audiences just outside the Beltway, and, and if you guys are seeing results uh, with that? Uh, right. So uh, we have, uh, as you correctly said, we have been engaging outside of D.C. Obviously, our relations with the administration and Congress here are vital to the, uh, or rather our dialogue is vital to the relationship. But as you know, we know uh, the United States is a, is a big country and people outside of Washington often have different interests, different perspectives, and often represent different constituencies. So we try to engage with as many different groups as possible. Obviously our engagement with the business community is a big part of this outreach program, but we also, um, we engage with educational institutions, with think tanks, obviously. Over the years, we have had hundreds of thousands of Saudi students who've come and attended US uh, universities uh, across the nation. We, um, so this is an ongoing effort. And uh, as, I as I said, I think that it's been very successful in the sense that Americans uh, in general, in DC and outside, to be honest, do seem very much interested in learning more about the importance of the relationship uh, between Saudi Arabia and the United States. And obviously this is something that we're keen on emphasizing whenever possible, but there also, it's become very clear to us that there is um, a high level of interest in Vision 2030 and some of the reforms that 
are currently taking place in Saudi Arabia. As we mentioned at the outset, I was in Riyadh myself last week to attend FII, among other uh, meetings, and I ran into or spoke rather spoke to dozens of American businessmen and women who were extremely excited about Vision 2030 and the various business opportunities uh, that are available in the kingdom. But we see this everywhere we go. Uh, and again, I think the kingdom is really going through uh, an unprecedented transformation. It is uh, exciting, not just for us Saudis, but I think it has the potential to become a blueprint for a more vibrant, more stable, uh, broader Middle East. It is interesting, Princess Rima, and I know you've been out there too. Uh, I mean, there's been to Wyoming, Colorado, Iowa, Maine, South Dakota, there may be others I missed. And it's also, uh, I know it's not your purview, but I mean, Saudi Arabia has, has significantly reduced its lobbying spending um, in terms of lobbyists and political advisors and that sort of thing. And, and um, uh, it was 34 million in 2018, I think it's down to 8 million in 2020. There just seems to be a, a change of tactics and approach. Uh, Princess Rima is uniquely qualified given her familiarity with the US and her or diplomatic skills to be out and about. You mentioned Saudi students. How is that program going? Is it still as, um, I know the numbers have, have come down a bit, but can you give us an update on that, the, the, the number of Saudi students and the, and the extent of the program as it still exists? Right, so currently we have, I believe a little over 30,000 students, which is still a very, large number. Obviously, the scholarship is still ongoing and it will continue well into the future. We are, um, you know, in terms of the uh, majors that are current, that most of our students are, are currently in, we're basically trying to match some of these scholarships with the jobs available in the kingdom. So we're, I think, a little bit more mindful of that but it's still a, a very sizable number. And, um, you know, this has been, you know, Saudis have been coming to the United States for their education for <clears throat> certainly at least 50 years. I remember my late father came here in the late 1960s, went to Whittier College, which I believe is President Nixon's alma right. mater. <laughs> uh, so this goes uh, at least as far as that. Um, and what's important to note also, I think is Obviously, they're all here to, uh, you know, in, this, in the United States to attain a formal education. But at the same time, a lot of them are using some of the, their free time to give back to their local communities. So they are volunteering at hospitals, at schools, at uh, senior homes. Uh, some of them, there's at least two or three student-run organizations that have actually helped various American communities recover from natural disasters. I think the most recent example was a couple of years ago after Hurricane Harvey struck the Houston area. There's an organization called Hand by Hand, composed of a few dozen Saudi, young Saudi men and women, some of whom were not based in, in Texas, who actually traveled and literally helped some of the, uh, the hardest hit communities rebuild their homes, uh, you know, stone brick by brick. And I think that's, uh, that's a testament to our education system in the kingdom. It is a testament to the narrative that we are instilling in our youth, both through our educational institutions, but frankly, even through our religious institutions in the sense that 
we have made it clear, we've sent a message to all our students that wherever you are, there is a room and an opportunity to do good. And with, you know, regardless what people's backgrounds, religious, ethnic uh, backgrounds are, you always have an opportunity to, uh, to make a difference. And, uh, you know, we're seeing uh, many, many examples of that. We also saw that last year through COVID, when uh, the world was, was grappling, uh, was in the midst, midst of uh, grappling with the pandemic, we had uh, several hundred uh, doctors, Saudi doctors who were in training in various countries, I think 40 different countries, who decided to extend their stay in the, in the various countries so that they can actually help uh, these various countries deal with, uh, with COVID. So, you know, I think that's a testament to um, the fact that, this, you know, contrary to what the, the popular perception is, I think Saudis and Americans and, and others have a lot more in common than they have differences, including, I think, we all share a, a core set of values that are not inherently American. I don't think they're inherently Saudi. I think they are universal in nature. What's interesting is that while these students are here or anywhere abroad, they often act as Saudi ambassadors. Obviously, they bring our values. Uh, they engage with their local communities. And as I mentioned, they uh, give back to their local communities whenever it's possible. However, as you correctly pointed out, when they go back to the kingdom, they are often, they become honorary U.S. ambassadors in the sense that, you know, they, uh, they, they do develop these long-term relationships uh, with Americans. So they think of their uh, American peers and neighbors and colleagues as an extended part of their family. And once they're back in the kingdom, uh, most of them, if not all, will speak very positively about their various experiences in the kingdom and, and they in the US rather, sorry. And they do become the uh, proverbial bridge between the two countries building long-term relations that I think, as you correctly said, have been uh, a key to the endurance of the relationship over the past 76 years.